Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. My name is Sylvie, and I will be your conference operator today. Bonjour, je m'appelle Sylvie, et je serai votre opératrice pour la conférence aujourd'hui. I will now like to introduce Mr. Jean-Marc Ayas, Manager Investor Relations at Alimentation Couchetard. Je vais maintenant donner la parole à Mr. Jean-Marc Ayas, gestionnaire relations investisseurs d'Alimentation Couchetard. Merci, Sylvie. Euh, bonjour, j'aimerais d'abord vous souhaiter la bienvenue à la téléconférence qui porte sur la diffusion des résultats financiers du troisième trimestre de l'exercice 2021 d'alimentation Couchetard. Toutes les lignes seront placées en mode discrétion afin d'éviter tout bruit inutile. À la suite de la présentation, nous répondrons aux questions qui nous ont été soumises à l'avance par les analystes. Nous souhaitons vous rappeler que cette web-émission sera disponible sur notre site web pour une période de 90 jours. Également, Prenez note que certains des sujets discutés au cours de cette web-émission pourraient consister en des déclarations prospectives qui sont fournies par la société avec les avertissements habituels. Ces avertissements au risque ainsi que ces incertitudes sont décrits dans nos rapports financiers. Il est donc possible que nos résultats futurs puissent différer des informations discutées aujourd'hui. Les résultats financiers seront présentés par M. Brian Hanush, président et chef de la direction, et M. Claude Tessier, chef de la direction financière. Good morning. I would like to welcome everyone to this web conference presenting Alimentation Couchetard's financial results for its third quarter fiscal year 2021. All lines will be kept on mute to prevent any background noise. After the presentation, we will answer questions that were forwarded to us beforehand by analysts. We would like to remind everyone that this webcast presentation will be available on our website for a 90-day period. Also, please remember that some of the issues discussed during this webcast might be forward-looking statements which are provided by the corporation with its usual caveats. These caveats or risks and uncertainties are outlined in our financial reporting. Therefore, our future results could differ from the information discussed today. Our financial results will be presented by Mr. Brian Hanish, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Mr. Claude Tessier, Chief Financial Officer. Brian, you may begin your conference. Thank you, Jean-Marc, and good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us for this presentation of our third quarter 2021 results. One year after the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, I'm pleased to report that across our global network, we continue to have solid results. Our customers continue to utilize the convenience and proximity of our channel for their everyday needs, with overall basket size remaining strong. In our fuel business, we achieved healthy margins despite a persistent increase in product costs throughout the quarter. Fuel volumes, like traffic, were highly variable with areas of renewed lockdown during the quarter, particularly in the urban areas. Those areas showed very soft demand while other areas strengthened. In our strategic ambitions, we made noticeable strides as we evolve our model to become a more innovative and differentiated retailer. This included development of our fresh food program as we prepare for the second wave of implementation, as well as advancements in our innovation journey with the opening of our first frictionless store and the expansion of our data-driven localized pricing initiatives and mobility journey. During the quarter, we closed on the acquisition of our Circle K Hong Kong, and I'm excited by the collaboration with our new talented team members and the potential for growing together in Asia. 
We also discussed, had further discussions concerning operational partnerships with CARFOR, which we announced in January. Here we're looking at areas of cooperation, including fuel, merchandise purchasing, private label development, data analytics, and improving the customer journey through innovation. I'm pleased with the preliminary discussions and how a possible collaboration with CARFOR has the potential to create value for both companies. Before I move to our results, I want to add some thoughts on the catastrophic storm that recently shut down the state of Texas after the end of the quarter. With millions without power and water, I'm proud to say that our Texas team worked day and night to keep our stores open so we can provide essentials to our customers. At one point, we had over 50% of our stores closed, but we were back in full operation with, within days. I've heard many stories of the team members who went above and beyond the call of duty to help our customers and our communities. I'm now going to turn to the results for the second quarter. Same-store sales growth was 2.9% in the U.S., 4.7% in Canada, and 2.8% in Europe and other regions, compared to the same quarter last year. In particular, in the U.S., alcohol and beverages showed strong growth, as did the tobacco category, specifically in the white nicotine and vape products. They all benefited from increased promotional efforts that aimed at driving traffic to our locations. No doubt the renewed escalation of the pandemic during the quarter, including strict stay-at-home and curfew orders in some of our key markets where we operate impacted visits to our stores. You know, that said, we continue to work hard to drive more visits to the stores through increased awareness of our loyalty initiatives, our smart value program, gamification promotions, and by ensuring that we remain focused on our core value proposition and on being responsive to our customers' needs. We're happy with the progress of our North American food program and assortment as we prepare for a second stage of the implementation. Having completed the first stage of opening 1,500 fresh food stores, we will now expand the program to an additional 3,000 stores in the coming months. We'll continue to improve and simplify the offer, and our focus remains on quality and the ease of the offer, both for the customer and for our store team members. Stores with Fresh Food Fast have been performing well relative to controls control stores within the same markets. Based on these results, we plan to leverage the learnings and look forward to expanding throughout North America during our fiscal 2022. In Europe, we continue to develop the new Fresh Food Fast concept as a platform for future growth. We're making it easier for our customers by introducing a self-service option, adding grab-and-go elements to the freshly prepared offers that we have in all stores. Also in Europe, we've piloted a Horizon store layout in Sweden and Lithuania with a brand new look and feel, as well as additional touch-free service and payment solutions that we've developed during the pandemic. As throughout the year, dispensed beverage sales were behind prior year during Q3, but our performance continued to outpace that of the market. In our coffee program, we've made progress in our sustainability journey during the quarter and our commitment to becoming a more environmentally responsive retailer. In our U.S. market, we transitioned to 100% sustainably sourced coffee across our stores, meaning it doesn't just taste good, it actually does good. Our coffee program gives tools, training, and services to coffee farmers to help build long-term sustainability. And we're proud that across Europe, we offer Rainforest Alliance certified coffee, and we'll be implementing the RFA certified coffee in our Canadian sites by the end of the fiscal year. Overall packaged beverage remains strong during the quarter. Introduction of new products, along with a variety of scaled national and global promotional initiatives propelled the energy drink share of the market. Sports drinks also continue to impress in momentum uh, versus prior year with new offers and increased focus on take-home packages. 
Alcohol sales also continued strong improvement versus prior year, with imports and hard, hard seltzers being the brightest spots in the category. Assortment enhancements and the expansion of larger packages have also provided a lift to sales during the pandemic. During the quarter, we expanded our Q-Line program to two initial 600 stores, creating a clear path to purchase and the ability to place high-impulse items in front of the customers immediately before checkout. We're very pleased with the release results and have plans to expand this concept across North America and Europe in the coming months. In, age, in other age-restricted products, nicotine once again showed solid performance to prior year, especially in Europe. Other tobacco products continued sales growth due to expanded selection of modern white and vapor products in line with changing consumer trends. While promotional activities in the, in the cigarette category were also a noticeable traffic driver for the quarter. We remain excited by the impact of our data-centric localized merchandising pricing efforts. At this point, about 60% of our network is now live with new pricing capabilities and we're seeing results that meet or exceed internal projections. As a result, we're looking at a rollout plan to the remainder of the company in the upcoming fiscal year. We're also piloting the use of store-specific data to enhance product assortment and promotional activity. We continue to believe there's a very large prize to optimize locally assortment and promotion along with pricing. Moving to our fuel business, same-store fuel volume growth during the quarter remained negative due to the impact of the worsening pandemic on miles driven in many areas as they were impacted by significant lockdowns, again, particularly in our larger metropolitan markets. For the quarter, same-store fuel volumes decreased 15.7% in the U.S., 10.3% in Europe, and 19.9% in Canada compared to last year. Despite these declines and the increasing product costs during the quarter, we continue to realize healthy fuel margins across the network, benefiting from irrational dynamics in many regions, as well as solid execution at retail. During the quarter, we converted more locations to our Circle K fuel brand, bringing the total now to over 2,700 sites in North America, and results continue to be encouraging, it's exceeding our projections. In over 850 sites, we're currently piloting various strategies to build Circle K fuel brand awareness and grow premium sales, and we're pleased with the initial results of these pilots as we invest in the Circle K brand. In addition to growing the Circle K brand, we continue to further our capabilities in fuel procurement and transportation. We've now fully launched a trading operation out of Houston, Texas, and are rapidly growing a proprietary fleet to maximize sourcing flexibility. We have a newly formed partnership with Love's supply and trading arm, Musket, that creates a very unique entity in the industry with tremendous scale, both on gasoline and diesel, that we believe will continue to improve our competitiveness and margins over time. In the fall, we opened Circle K Logistics in Riga, which is a centralized 24-7 operations and controls, sorry, call center responsible for much of the network fuel-related logistics. It plans all of our in-house truck fleet for North America and terminal operations for our terminals in Europe. This has improved our operational performance and obviously reduced our operational costs uh, with great talent and a lower cost in Riga. Over the quarter, we also saw much attention to the advancements in mobility, including GM's clever Super Bowl campaign to challenge Norway, the world leader in EV development. We seize that opportunity to show our pride in our Norway lab, which has made us a leading EV charger in that country. We've also expanded our home and workplace solutions to 4,500 charging points in Norway. 
North America, we continue preparations for Circle K and partner charging at our sites and key markets this year, beginning in Quebec and California. This quarter, we advanced our innovation journey with the opening of our first frictionless store, Kushtar Connect, on the McGill campus. The store is a unique retail laboratory in partnership with McGill University in Montreal. It opened in January on the McGill campus and is receiving very positive feedback from our customers. We're impressed by the technology and how we're delivering a fully frictionless experience in a timely manner and with great accuracy. Store team members have been outstanding ambassadors and playing a key role in the success of the location. This store not only helps us on the technology and research front, but also supports our sustainability, sustainability efforts in many ways. It will clearly provide important insights and information as we expand our frictionless capabilities. We will be piling many technologies in the coming months, both inside the store and in the forecourt, and feel we can differentiate our offer and truly making, make the shopping experience of Circle K easy in the future. I also want to mention our efforts to expand our network through new store builds. You know, we continue to believe this is a great investment and we're investing in this organic growth lever and plan to ramp up further our capacity, considering it a solid return on investment. This goes hand in hand with our network optimization initiatives to upgrade the size and scale of our locations, allowing for the best utilization of our food programs, improved store layouts, and also identifying stores that no longer fit our strategic objectives and being proactive at getting them out. So with that, I'm going to pause here and let Claude take you through more of the second quarter financial results. Claude? Thank you, Brian. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. For the third quarter of, fisc uh, of fiscal 2021, we are happy to report net earnings attributable to shareholders of the corporation of $607.5 million, or $0.55 cents per share on a diluted basis. Excluding certain items for both comparable periods, adjusted net earnings for the third quarter of fiscal 2021 were approximately $622 million, or $0.56 cents per share on a diluted basis, compared with $0.52 cents per share for the third quarter of fiscal 2020, which represents an increase of 7.7%. We maintained solid momentum during the quarter in the face of challenging environment. Our business continued to generate strong cash flows as we stayed true to our unusual cost discipline and focused on operating efficiency. We also return further cash to our shareholders by way of higher dividend payments year over year, as well as our share repurchase program, uh, through which we have opportunistically brought back nearly uh, 16 million of our Class B shares for more than $513 million during the third quarter, and a further 12.4 million shares for the, uh, from the end of the quarter until March 12 for a total spend of nearly $900 million since renewing the program last November. I will, no go, will now go over uh, key figures for the quarter. <clears throat> for more details, please refer to your, uh, our MD&A available on our website. During this most recent quarter, excluding the net impact from foreign currency translation, Merchandise and service revenues for the third quarter of fiscal 2021 increased by approximately $192 million, or 4.5%. This increase is primarily attributable to the growth in basket size, which more than offset continued softness in traffic, as well as the contribution from acquisitions, which amounted to approximately $83 million. Several categories continue to perform well across all regions, including tobacco, packaged beverages, alcohol, and grocery products. 
For the third quarter of fiscal 2021, on the same basis, merchandise and service gross profit increased by approximately $13 million, or 0.9%. The contribution from acquisition amounted to approximately $24 million. Our gross margin decreased by 1% in the United States to 33%, and by 0.7% in Canada to 32.2%, mainly due to various COVID-related impacts, such as shifts toward larger package size within the tobacco and beverage categories, a provision from, uh, for bringing personal protective equipment products to the lower of their cost and net re realizable value, promotional activities uh, to drive traffic to our store, as well as a lower margin on, on prepared food given volatile traffic patterns. Our gross margin decreased by 3.8% in Europe and other regions to 38.5% due to the change in product mix towards lower margin categories, as well as the integration of Circle K Hong Kong which has a different product mix than our European operations. Excluding Circle K Hong Kong, our gross margin in Europe would have been 40%. We now move on to the fuel side of our business. In the third quarter of fiscal 2021, our road transportation fuel gross margins was 31.86 cents per gallon in the US, an increase of nearly five cents per gallon. In Europe and other regions, the road transportation fuel gross margin was 11.36 U.S. cents per liter, an increase of nearly 3 U.S. cents per liter. And in Canada, it was 10.36 Canadian cents per liter, an increase of more than 2 Canadian cents per liter. Healthy road uh, transportation fuel gross margins were driven by the competitive landscape and by a flexible sourcing strategy that allow us to benefit from a favorable supply opportunity. For the third quarter of fiscal 2021, normalized operating expenses decreased by 0.1%, driven by cost and labor efficiencies, as well as rigorous work and activity initiated to streamline and minimize our controllable expenses. These positive items were also entirely offset by COVID-19 related expenses, normal inflation, higher labor costs in certain regions, and incremental uh, investments to support our strategy. More specifically on COVID-19 related expenses, these included thank you for serving bonuses, additional cleaning and sanitizing supplies, as well as masks and gloves for our employees. Excluding specific items described in our, and more details in our MDNA, the adjusted EBITDA for the third quarter of fiscal 2021 increased by $59.6 million or 4.9% compared with the third quarter of fiscal 2020 mainly due to higher road transportation fuel gross margins, good cost control, as well as from the net positive impact from foreign currency translation, representing approximately $18 million, partly offset by the negative impact of COVID-19 on fuel demand. Also excluding specific items, the adjusted income tax rate for the third quarter of fiscal 2021 was 17.6%, compared with 19.6% for the third quarter of fiscal 2020. The decrease for the third quarter is mainly stemming from the impact of different mix in our earnings across the various jurisdictions in which we operate. As of the January 31st, 2021, our return on equity remained strong at 24.6%, and our return on capital employed stood at 16.4%. 
During the quarter, we once again generated solid free cash flows and ended the period with a leverage ratio of 136 to 1, well below our comfort level of 2.25 to 1. As of January 31st, 2021, we have ample balance sheet flexibility with $2.7 billion in cash and an additional $2.5 billion available to our revolving credit facility. Finally, on March 17, 2021, the Board of Directors declared a, div a dividend quarterly of 8.75 Canadian cents per share and approved its payment of, for April 9th, 2021. To close, I would like to highlight the work our teams have accomplished throughout the last year, ensuring that we emerge from the pandemic in a strong financial position and ready to accelerate capital deployments toward our strategic initiatives, while always remaining focused on driving value creation for our employees, customers, and shareholders. With that, I thank you all for your attention. I turn the call back to you, Brian. Uh, thank you, Claude. Yeah, I want to reaffirm that despite COVID, we remain laser-focused on our strategy, and I'm pleased with the progress we've made while navigating the pandemic. A lot of work over the last two years across our customer offer are starting to come alive in our stores. In closing, I'd like to talk about what we're doing as a company in terms of the COVID-19 vaccinations. We've made it clear to our team members that we believe in the promise of the vaccine and help to move our communities and our businesses to the other side of this pandemic. While the availability and administration of vaccines differs substantially across our network, we're working hard to make it easy for all of our team members to get vaccinated, and we're prioritizing, prioritizing our frontline essential workers. We're strongly encouraging vaccinations, incentivizing where appropriate, and providing information on how they can be attained in each market, no cost to our employees. None of us want to lose another family member, friend, or colleague to this virus. We've also had frequent reminders across business to not let our COVID guard down by wearing masks, continuing to wash hands, and maintain social distancing. I'm optimistic that we're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel and that our lives and operations will return to a new normal in the coming months. We're staying committed to a long-term strategy and evolving retail model. As Claude said, our balance sheet is very healthy, putting us in a strong position for future opportunities as they may arise. And finally, and most importantly, on the one-year anniversary of the pandemic, I want to thank all of our team members, especially those in our stores, for their incredible resilience during these challenging times and for their continued commitment to the business and to making our customers' lives a little easier every day. And now we'll answer questions that we've received from analysts. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc thank you brian the first question comes from graham kreinler at eight capital 
How does Kushta view its ability to generate customer loyalty and stickiness as reopenings begin? Does the trend of basket consolidation appear to be durable? How has the merchandise mix changed in the states that have begun to open up to reflect changes in consumer preferences? As, as I just said, you know, during the pandemic, you know, we've taken a long-term view and remained uh, laser-focused on our strategy. And the core of that strategy is really a multi-pronged approach to creating loyalty. You know, that includes the customer journey. It includes, and we're you know, piloting several uh, initiatives, both at the forecourt, as I said, at the store, uh, that we think can significantly change the shopping experience. Uh, we want to ensure that we've got the right pricing, the right assortment, and the right promotional activities on a very, very localized basis uh, using big data. Uh, we want to make sure we've got the right value propositions. Uh, examples would include our smart value program, our lift tool, uh, our AI fuel uh, pricing tool. You know, we want to keep our customers engaged with us. Um, so gamified uh, promotions is, is a great example of us doing that to, use, uh, to uh, drive traffic. You know, we're working uh, on innovative ways to train our staff to ensure that they're able to provide you know, high quality and customer, high quality and consistent customer service. Um, you know, we've rolled out in, in, during the pandemic a food offer that uh, we believe is resonating with our customers and we're investing in our fuel brand. So with regard to what we're seeing in reopenings, you know, I believe it's a bit early to draw conclusions, but certainly alcohol, uh, as Claude mentioned, and beverages continue to be strong. And as traffic improves, with the, particularly the morning day part, you know, we're seeing uh, slow improvement in our key food and dispensed beverage categories. Second question from Graham. Can you provide an update on your customer loyalty initiative, including digital? Yeah, I'd be happy to touch on that. A lot of activity in the space, some of it just very foundational about, you know, how the brand uh, appears and is communicated uh, online. Uh, but more tangibly, you know, Lyft, which we've talked about, you know, we've now got that complete uh, in North America for a year and we're piloting in Europe. And, uh, you know, the analytics talent that we've developed both in North America and now in India has done some uh, post audits. And uh, we feel that there's at least a 4% incremental sales growth utilizing Lyft, and we know we've got opportunities to use that tool even smarter. Um, today, about 14% of all transactions, uh, we're able to drive an incremental item, and uh, you know, we know there's upside to that as well. Uh, Circle K Extra and Easy Rewards continue to grow, but uh, candidly, we don't think our industry uh, or us have cracked the code, and, we have, and that has something that truly engages the customer. So in parallel with our rebranding efforts on the fuel, which opens up a technological path, um, it opens the door to more comprehensive and innovative approach to loyalty and the other consumer offers that can be incorporated, like mobile payment, click and collect, uh, subscription. So the focus of the new, new program that we're developing in parallel with the rebranding efforts is, is really going to focus on ease, connection, and value versus a traditional club, earn, and burn approach. You know, we plan to have pilots up in the next few months and uh, followed by a rollout, assuming we get the customer response we expect. So. Again, a lot of activity in the digital space. The next question comes from John Royal at J.P. Morgan Securities. Same store fuel gallons in Canada had a significant acceleration in pace of, in the pace of decline from Q2. Is there anything you can call out uh, as particular source of weakness, and how did that decline progress through the quarter and into the February March period? 
Yeah, first and foremost, I think we've we've done a good job at retail, you know, providing a consistent value and price position to customers. You know, Canada was a challenging environment in Q3 because of tightening restrictions around the pandemic. Our two main markets, Toronto and Montreal, where we have high concentration of sites, both put in place tougher measures, which dramatically restricted travel and thus kilometers driven. You know, in Quebec, we had stay-at-home orders, stay-at-home orders in place in October and November, you know, where all non-essential stores were closed for periods during that time. And then after that, we had a curfew put in place starting at 8 p.m. You know, in Ontario, while there was no curfew, you know, we had closures of businesses and entertainment that impacted travel. And that progression did uh, worsen through the quarter, uh, improving slightly quarter to date from the exit rate, uh, but remains very challenged. The other piece, I think, that's just a reality, Canada has lagged in vaccinations. The good news is it's ramping up rapidly now, and we expect the trends of both our traffic and our fuel volume to follow those as the society reopens. Second question from John Royal. You're executing on your share buyback quickly relative to the full year on the authorization. Did we read this as opportunistic given the move to price, or do we expect a relatively rateable pace going forward and perhaps an early completion on the authorization? Thank you, John, uh, for your question. Last November, when we put the buyback in place, we said that we would act on it on an opportunistic basis. We continue to have a strong cash flow generation. Uh, our leverage is low, and that creates the set of the, to act on, on, on drop in share prices. So we got more aggressive uh, with the recent pullback on our share price, despite the strong earnings. The opportunity presented itself. Uh, so uh, furthermore, also, we believe in our strategy and the execution of it by our team. We also see value in our stock right now. And nonetheless, uh, we are still very active on the acquisition front. But as you know, uh, we have not been successful in finding the right match at the right price. So finally, we see uh, today our valuation as a very solid way for us to return value to our shareholders. I cannot speak to the to uh, the complete uh, the completion of the authorization, but uh, we already spent close to 900 million uh, from the renewal of date of November to March 12th. So uh, we are almost there already. So confident that we're going to finalize it. The next question comes from Patricia Baker at Scotiabank. Have there been any further discussions with Carrefour around partnering on a number of initiatives to drive value for both parties? If so, have you made any decisions on where you might start and when? Yeah, Patricia, Patricia I'd say the project is very active. You know, we've got teams formed. Um, there's five or six areas that we think have meaningful opportunities, but uh, just to stay focused, we challenge the teams to uh, really start with three, you know, that being around fuel, both procurement and operations, you know, merchandising, procurement, and private label. You know, we, we don't have outcomes yet, and I, I think I, I anticipate it's going to be several months or more before we see definitive opportunities. But I'm optimistic, you know, given the scale of both organizations in these, in these key areas that we can uh, add value to each other. The next question from Patricia. You noted higher promotional activity to drive traffic to the stores in Q3. Can you discuss how effective these promotions might have been? Are there any differences in effectiveness in Canada versus the United States? And do you envision higher promotional activity through the coming quarters as traffic remains impacted by COVID-19? 
Yeah, I'd say promotional investments were made during the quarter, um, primarily in the tobacco categories. We self-invested uh, in the category uh, with two goals, really. One was to grow membership in our tobacco club, uh, particularly in the premium segment, and the second was to drive traffic. While margin percent did come down, you know, it did help drive traffic and basket. So when we look at the, uh, you know, a post-mortem, you know, we see a net gain in gross margin dollars versus areas we were, where we did not make that same investment. So, you know, we think there's a good return there. Um, and, you know, while top line, you know, we generally don't, didn't like the results. Um, when, I, when I look at our peer group, uh, particularly in the U.S., uh, we're generally pleased with how we performed during the quarter. Again, given some of our core markets, uh, you know, we're just, you know, experiencing significant lockdowns during the quarter. In the U.S., you know, traffic was challenged in the first half of the quarter. It got worse in P8 and P9. I would say it stabilized in the second half of the quarter as, you know, the promotions managed to steady the decline. Recent weeks have been encouraging, uh, and barring any changes in COVID, you know, we're cautiously optimistic that uh, as vaccinations continue to ramp up that, uh, you know, we'll see traffic improve. In Canada, you know, traffic did worsen throughout the quarter, as I mentioned earlier, with the curfews and restrictions largely explaining our results both on the fuel side and in the, in the merch side. The next question comes from Derek DeLay at Canaccord Genuity. Can you comment on the drivers of the merchandise same-store sales? Are alcohol and consumer goods still the key drivers? Yeah, I'd say in general, merch sales were strong in the alcohol category. Um, you know, I think you know we're still seeing you know bars and large social gatherings impaired. So, you know, I think our channel continues to play a role in meeting demands, and uh, you know, larger packages have certainly been a part of that. You know, packaged beverage has also been strong. Um, alternative nicotine, uh, including white nicotine, has shown really tr tremendous growth. You know, while cigarettes were weak for the quarter and actually held back same-store sales, but, you know, we injected some deflation as we invested in price in the quarter. Uh, but we're pleased with the underlying unit performance. And then in the other merch, you know, really, you know, candy, salty, and snacks uh, continue to perform well uh, as people really, I think, still consolidated shopping trips and we saw a strong basket. You know, food uh, is obviously the weak spot across the board due to trips. You know, we just need to see society open, and particularly that morning commute um, is just so important to us. And in terms of geographies, you know, we think that tr we saw trends very similar in the U.S. and Canada and Europe uh, during the quarter, um, with uh, Europe having a, a bit stronger uh, performance in food, being down just a couple percent, and that's really a testament to our strong B2B business, which has really shown a lot of, a lot of resilience uh, during the pandemic. The next question comes from Michael Van Elk at TD Securities. While still far better than same-store volumes, merchandise same-store sales in all geographies slowed from the past few quarters and have basically returned to more normal levels. Can you describe the changes you're seeing in consumer behavior in terms of traffic, basket size, and category mix as compared to the past two quarters? that explain the slowing trend. Where are the food, uh, fresh food sales today as compared to pre-COVID levels? And have you seen a substantial pickup from the rollout of the holiday food program across North America? I'd say, Michael, in the U.S., you were highly variable. You know, overall traffic was flat compared to Q2. Uh, and we did see a, a slight decline in basket that largely show, you know, explains the, the difference quarter over quarter. In Canada, as, as we mentioned several times now, traffic, uh, was challenged because of curfews. Um, 
basket was flat, so a little different dynamic there. In Europe, uh, traffic you know, has strengthened actually during the quarter, uh, but we did have a second wave, particularly uh, you know Ireland, which was locked down very tight, um, that made it difficult to compare versus Q2. Uh, and basket continued to be strong in Europe. In terms of category mix, uh, you know what I described earlier for the U.S. has been fairly consistent across the network. In the U.S., uh, you know, prepared food, as I mentioned, has been the primary challenge. You know, off uh, double digits, and uh, linked strongly to to traffic. Um, Canada, you know, cigarettes remain uh, higher than normal, but have come down from the time where the Indian reservations were closed. But uh, again, that explains a lot of the basket uh, strength there. And then food in general, again, impacted by traffic. But when we look at our new program in isolation, it continues to perform very well compared to sites that are not on the program. You know, we continue to work on refining the operational side. Uh, stores with the program are comparing favorably to those without in the same markets. We're seeing lists and sandwich units. And we did uh, some minor communication the quarter, really to pilot, uh, you know, what uh, we've been unable to do during the pandemic, which is communicate the offer and sample. So we did that on a very, very small pilot basis, and uh, very pleased not only with the uh, the spike in demand for the food program, but also the uh, the tail as we quit promoting. You know, we continue to see uh, sales be very strong in that pilot. So. Optimistic that it, when the time's right, we're, we're going to be able to start talking to consumers about that offer. Michael, second question. Prior to COVID, OPIS was a relatively good indicator for U.S. fuel margins most quarters. But over the past four quarters, your U.S. fuel margins have been radically different than data reported by OPIS. Once volumes rebound to 2019 levels, is it reasonable to assume that Kushtar will continue to outperform OPIS data and therefore the industry in general by at least five cents per gallon and that some factors that you mentioned in past quarters will play a role? A deep question there. <laughs> you know, I'd first start by saying that, you know, OPIS is, uh, is a good indicator but uh, not a perfect indicator of uh, a fuel margin you know, given just mixes uh, geographic differences uh, of different competitors that you look at in the industry. Um, but there's other factors. You know, when we look at ourselves, you know, we think we bring unique scale to the, uh, to the equation. Uh, we think, uh, you know, different companies have different levels of operational execution. I think we've done a good job balancing margin and fuel volumes. Uh, you know, we're not chasing something that uh, may not be there in certain markets. We're benefiting on the margin side from the rollout of the Circle K fuel brand. Uh, we're investing in our fleets and building more optionality in our procurement with our partnership with Musket, which is the supplier arm of Loves. And that, that relationship, uh, we think, has the opportunity to dramatically accelerate our supply and trading capabilities, again, further, further differentiating you know, how we deal with fuel from other competitors in the industry. The next question comes from Mark Petrie at CIBC World Markets. With regards to M&A, can you help us understand your criteria with regards to deal structure? Is a minority interest something you would be interested in? What steps can you take to achieve meaningful value creation or synergy realization without integration and control? Yeah, Mark, we've always had a controlling interest in our main acquisitions. Um, you know, and that, to your point, primarily to ensure we can drive results. You know, I think it's a it's a core skill set of of Kushtar over the years. Uh, 
you know, we did recently make a minority investment in Fire and Flower. You know, we now own 19.9% of that company, and there is a path to control. But, uh, you know, that said, you know, we would be open to minority interest, but it would really be a case where we'd really be comfortable that we're aligned with the partner, their capabilities, and their vision for the business. And then secondly, and, and equally important, it'd, it'd be a, a business opportunity that we'd re really have to love and believe delivers significant shareholder value. Second question from Mark. You highlighted that store-by-store -store pricing is in 60% of the network, but there is still significant opportunity. What are the key steps from here? How far along are you in terms of realizing benefits? And can you help shape expectations for how material that benefit could be? I think it's important right off the top to mention, you know, to, to state that we're, you know, we're committed to being a more data-centric company and working hard to develop our capabilities. You know, we built out the team starting in Tempe, but then a, a second team uh, doing more of the core uh, work in India, and uh, that team's currently being built out now. Uh, but we think we've uh, brought some great talent on over the last 18 months. At a high level, I'd call this a top five initiative in our strategy. Um, we launched the first piece, which was localized pricing in our Sweden and Grand Canyon, so Arizona uh, business. Uh, pleased with the results, you know, the improvement in gross margin dollars uh, is exceeding our projections. Um, so we're rolling this out to nine more BUs this year. Uh, that's not 100% of the SKUs. And again, as we cycle, uh, it's a test and learn, test and learn model. But, uh, you know, we think it's going to continue to get better and better. Um, you know, again, we started with a limited number of stores, a limited number of SKUs to make sure we're doing it right, uh, benchmarking constantly and we'll gradually increase the SKUs and number of stores. Um, and then equally excited uh, about localized assortment promotion, you know, bringing big data to really tailor our assortments and a promotional activity to what the local site and local customer needs. So uh, excited, committed, and uh, we'll be able to communicate more in the coming quarters. The next question comes from Karen Short at Barclays Capital. How are you thinking about the industry broadly regarding EV penetration in the U.S., given the new administration and new policy initiatives that have come out? And as it seems like more mandates will be forthcoming, whether the infrastructure is there or not. That's a Karen. You know, electrification is reality. I'm not sure everybody in the industry, our industry generally believes that yet, but, uh, you know, we do, and we're preparing to face it head on. You know, disruption can create opportunities for those that are prepared. You know, Norway shows us that convenience and fuel sites have a role to play in the build-out of the infrastructure and that there is a business model. Uh, still too early to discuss the economics of that model, but important to see how we can continue to make our customers' lives easier and be a part of that. You know, electric cars have to be washed. The majority of our trips are still convenience only. Uh, but it does, it does change the model. So, you know, we've got many of the successful ingredients in place in Norway, uh, but also recognize Norway and the pace at which it developed, uh, like some other countries in Europe. You know, it had cheap renewable hydropower uh, and a government that is fairly wealthy and had the ability to aggressively subsidize the purchase of vehicles and build out of the infrastructure. Not every market is the same, and we're learning about the U.S. and seeing how we can apply our experience in Norway make sure we, we participate at the right level in North America. We'll also begin to do work to strengthen our B2B position in the U.S. as we see in Europe 
that it's just been very, very resilient in the face of EV. And finally, and I think most important, you know, we're building out capabilities that will give us the ability to consolidate what's just tremendous demand in a very fragmented industry for years to come. And our focus is building out a top-tier network with top-tier capabilities and, and being a part of our customers' lives for years and years to come. Second question from Perrin. You called out the merchandise gross margin pressure in Europe and other regions of nearly 400 basis points due to a change in product mix towards lower margin categories related to the integration of Circle K Hong Kong. Should we anticipate pressure of this magnitude to persist in the forward quarters until you cycle the acquisition? How does the timing of the acquisition play into the pressure or asked differently, should we expect greater pressure when taking into account a full quarter impact of Circle K Hong Kong? So, Karen, uh, gross margin in Europe and other regions was 38.5%, uh, but 40% in Europe if you don't factor in uh, Hong Kong units, uh, our business units over there. So, Hong Kong uh, had an impact of 150 basis points for six weeks out of the uh, 16 weeks in the quarter. So, you should uh, expect a, a proportional impact uh, for full quarter. To give you more colors, uh, Hong Kong stores that have a higher cigarette mix in the in the high foot traffic area they operate in. Uh, and you know that cigarettes have a lower margin than the average store margin. Uh, there was also a higher cigarette mix during pandemic caused by uh, growing cigarette sales and a lower food product penetration, similar to what we see in other regions. Uh, furthermore, Circle K Hong Kong uh, incurred uh, startup expenses uh, with the opening of a new automated center a brand new uh, all automated center that they just launched uh, late fall. So these logistics expenses uh, hit the margin during the quarter and should not be uh, recurring uh, in the future. So excluding uh, Hong Kong, Europe was impacted also by mix uh, for the remaining decline. Uh, the, the decline was coming uh, mostly uh, because of the, the margins being lower uh, with the lower sales uh, in prepared food and a higher cigarette uh, mix also. But uh, the margin was uh, uh, mostly in line with previous quarter trends. The next question comes from Bobby Griffin at Raymond James. Can you talk about the outlook for operating expenses in calendar year 2021, especially in the context of potential U.S. wage inflation? Do you see a portion of the $2.50 an hour of emergency appreciation pay becoming permanent on an ongoing basis? Well, as you know, uh, you know we are not giving uh, any outlooks, uh, but clearly uh, if the minimum wage were to rise, it would impact also all the other retailers. Uh, we have the necessary scale and resources to invest in our business and, and drive productivity. And we have in place a broad program of cost optimization that's driving significant cost reduction throughout the business. Uh, this program helps, uh, helps offset higher cost inflation generated in the business. It also focuses on the store to reduce as much as possible any administrative burden uh, on the stores. We also are staying disciplined on cost. And we continue to leverage our labor models, so our labor models and all the tools around labels or scheduling, training, also optimization of our, our, our labor. So 
And uh, finally, as far as the emergency appreciation, uh, it was timely in nature. So we we consist, uh, consistently uh, evaluate uh, the needs of our business and benchmark with the market, and we'll react accordingly. So if we have to put some back, we'll put some back, but we're, we're going to follow the market. The next question from Bobby. Your leverage ratio continues to trend below the comfort level of 2.25 to 1. Without a meaningful acquisition in calendar year 2021, do you expect leverage to stay below the 2.25 to 1 target? Well, it's important for us to maintain a strong balance sheet and to optimize our capital allocation. Uh, to the extent that we continue to generate robust cash flows, and there's no reason not to believe, we will examine all the tools available to us. Stock buyback remain an important way to return cash uh, to shareholders and, and to support our, our, our stock opportunistically. But that said, we, we're active also on, the, uh, on many m and files uh, at any given times, and it is important for us to preserve the flexibility, like I said earlier, to be able to execute on, execute on ex acquisitions uh, that we feel are a good strategic fit for us. The next question comes from Chris Lee at Desjardins Securities. Last quarter, you mentioned that the B2B fuel market is a big opportunity in the U.S. How far is Kushtar away from expanding into that market? Is the industry structure similar to the consumer market with a high degree of fragmentation and consolidation opportunities? Yeah, I'll take that. So, you know, we love our B2B business in Europe, and we've consistently grown it uh, the nine years we've been there. Uh, an added benefit, it showed great resilience during COVID and specifically in Norway where we're seeing EV penetration. You know, the B2B business has held up very, very well. The opportunity in the U.S. really opens up as we convert our fuel to the Circle K brand and deliver a, a clear value proposition to these important customers. You know, this year we'll, we'll complete close to another 500 conversions with another 700 planned next year. So as you see entire markets or largely entire markets. So with the Circle K brand, you'll see us invest against B2B uh, and grow this customer base. We think that's a strong opportunity for us in the coming years. The second question from Chris, can you please update us on the opportunities in the retail cannabis space over the next few years? Would this be another adjacent retail channel that fits your M&A criteria? Yeah, I'd say this is certainly an interesting adjacent channel uh, as we've got great expertise in the retailing of age-restricted products, you know, alcohol and tobacco being the two obvious ones. Um, when we took our position in Fire and Flower, it was with a clear goal that we had identified a management team and that was capable of de developing a differentiated and, and winning customer value proposition. And uh, I guess two years in approximately, I'm, I'm pleased with the results to date. Uh, they've got a very unique uh, operating model and also a very unique uh, platform that uses data um, to both engage customers but to help the operators uh, understand their business uh, very deeply. You know, if we look at the bigger opportunity, you know, certainly we're not yet legal in some of our big markets like the U.S., but to the extent that they become fully open and to the extent that we believe we have a better mousetrap, you know, we'll certainly look, consider it uh, a good adjacency and look to expand either by consolidating existing uh, businesses, uh, organic growth, or building out our properties. 
The next question comes from Irene Natel at RBC Capital Markets. Recognizing its early days, what are you seeing with Circle K Hong Kong and maybe some insights into elements of their business model that could have an impact on the rest of the network? As we said, when we acquired that business, Irene, you know, we see it as a great platform uh, to be in the conversation and grow in Asia. You know, we entered the U.S. with a 200-store acquisition uh, 21 years ago, I guess, and that gave us the ability to grow multiple times over the next two decades. You know, we now have some of the same recipe in place. You know, we've got a management team that's got a strong track record and a solid reputation in the region. You know, we've got credibility, uh, whereas we didn't before, uh, to approach potential targets. And we've got some, you know, conversations in different uh, countries underway at this time. Um, in terms of what it does for us on top of that, you know, we know that convenience only is an area that, uh, you know, that we will invest in and uh, their capabilities in small formats, high urban traffic footprints, inch-to-inch -inch merchandising, literally inch-to-inch -inch merchandising, if you've been to Hong Kong, uh, all are applicable. Um, they've got uh, some advanced uh, DC capabilities you know, with a highly automated facility um, that enables them to have daily inventory deliveries, which are necessary for these small formats. And then I think they've got one of the best uh, omni-channel loyalty programs out there in the industry today. And certainly that's going to play a role in helping us develop the program that I mentioned earlier. The last question comes from Bonnie Herzog to Goldman Sachs. It's been a few months now since the Carrefour transaction was first proposed. Now that some time has passed, do you have any updated thoughts on your M&A strategy, especially as it relates to possibly moving into other retail channels? Also, can you update us on which geographies you think are most important for you from an M&A standpoint? Yeah, Bonnie, I'd say that we continue to prioritize the U.S. and Asia. You know, the U.S. is because we've got scale, you know, we understand the market, and, you know, we have a lot of synergy potential in almost any deal we do. So we'll continue to look while remaining disciplined. Um, you know, we've engaged in a number of opportunities over the last couple of years, but uh, you know, we just don't believe the valuations are rational. Um, but, you know, th that will change in time. And then Asia, you know, because the majority of, we, of the global GDP in the next couple of decades will come from, you know, that region as well as Africa. And we've taken that initial step with Hong Kong and, uh, you know, hope to have meaningful engagement with other opportunities uh, in the coming months and years. Europe, uh, Europe is very different country by country with different dynamics. And so, as I've said in the past, that, you know, that's going to be a more opportunistic approach. You know, in terms of adjacent channels, you know, we spent several years looking at grocery and the omni-channel opportunities we think it provides with convenience and e-commerce. You know, we'll continue to be disciplined and look for opportunities that we believe create synergies with our core business, whether that be in grocery or another adjacent channel. But uh, you know, we're active, and uh, as Claude said earlier, the balance sheet's ready. Um, it's just you know, finding the right opportunities that we think uh, are scalable and can provide value for our shareholders. Great. That was the last question. Thanks, Brian and Claude. Um, that covers everything for today. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We wish you a great day and look forward to discussing our fourth quarter and annual 2021 results next June. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you. This does conclude today's conference call. You may now disconnect. 
Merci. Mesdames et messieurs, ceci met fin à la conférence d'aujourd'hui. Vous êtes maintenant invités à mettre fin à cet appel. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.